Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 165 of the Quickie Podcast, 165 Part 2. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I'm so glad you're here today. If you haven't listened to Part 1 of my interview with Armin Witt yet, rewind, go back one episode and hear the beginning. Hear Part 1 before you dive into this one. It's good. It's great, in fact, I promise you. Now, during part two here, this is where the challenges start, the tough stuff. This is where we get into stories of battling through the recession with two mortgages and their business completely changing from banner ads and making money on that to where do they go? Where do the client's projects go and what they did there? Now, Armin also shares a story about a project for a golf course in China that he was a part of that did not go as planned. We also get into the struggle with committing to a design choice as their audience grows for their own design work, because initially Armin started as reviewing others' design work. So now all of a sudden, he's the guy who could be facing all of the critiques and criticism and how they approach that. We also get into why the BN conference, the brand new conference, is something that he is so proud of. That and so much more in this episode. I also love his answer to the Ask It Forward question from my last guest here. So let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, part two of my interview with Armin Witt. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? So, Armin, the next few questions I have for you take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out and share those with the listeners. Mm-hmm. So what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it? Yeah, I think the most challenging part was um, when, so when we moved from New York to Austin <clears throat> in 2008, um, so we have, we have been in business for a year and we have had our kids for a year and a half and then we're, we realized that New York had gotten a little bit too annoying to live there with a kid. And mm-hmm. you know, we were living and working from home, so we're mm-hmm. paying a lot of money to just live in a 10-block radius, which is as far as our kid would take us. Yeah, <laughs> um, for sure. So we're like, all right, let's change, uh, let's change gears. Uh, so we picked Austin, um, bought a house, had a, hard, a little bit of a hard time selling our condo in brooklyn but we thought man it will sell like it should be fine and then the recession hit Mm. um so all of a sudden we're in austin we have uh two mortgages we have uh zero clients because it it happened that all the projects that we had live they um they just ended right before we moved to austin and Mm -hmm. we just thought oh yeah we'll pick up back again we'll get new clients whatever it'll be fine um, then on brand new on the blog, advertising 
that we were running advert- banner ads on it, and all of a sudden it just went from having, you know, completely booked months to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're like, oh shit! <laughs> like, what do we do now? Yeah. And we had zero business development expertise. Like, we had never had to go out and find clients because we had always had word of mouth or repeat clients. So, like, we looked at each other. So, like, how do you get clients? Like, we were like, oh, I think we're supposed to network. So, how do you network? We had never done that. It's things that you hear about, but we had never had to do it. Uh, So, there was a a small moment of panic where, like, Mm -hmm. what have we done like we wish you have stayed in new york um and you know kind of kept our head down do client work shut up (laughs) and just like do things Mm -hmm. Uh, we had to go and rock the boat um so by then so this was 2009 but by then brand new the blog had uh, uh grown quite a bit in terms of having a big audience and so so, Mm -hmm. sorry just to stop you there so did the like did the blog and you know under consideration as a freelance design business did those start at the same time or were you blogging and building the blog before you cut to go to freelance yeah no so the kind of like backtracking a little bit in 2003 we started our first blog which was called speak up okay um and that one we ran on the side for six years Mm -hmm. and then from there in 2006 we started brand new so at the time I was at Pentagram mm-hmm. and, you know, I would do brand new one or two posts a week during the weekend. And that was it. In 2007 and eight, when we went on our own, kind of like brand new picked up a little bit more energy in, in the sense that I could devote a little bit more time to it. But it was never like we never saw it as the as this thing that could grow mm-hmm. to what it has grown now. Um, so. It wasn't until like 2007 that we're like, oh, by then it was big and we could run ads on it and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so it was always, it's always, it had always been a sort of a side thing. Got it. Um, but by 2009, it was big enough that it was like, okay, there's something here that we should be able, that we could tap into to maybe to get out of this uh, recession funk. Sort of monetize to help you out. Yeah. Um, and it was never because we had never seen any of the blogs as our uh, livelihood. Like mm-hmm. it, they never left enough money. We're like, oh, we could blog full time and we'll be fine. Um, but I think, and I think that sort of helped make it a, what it is today. That it was never seen. We never saw it as like a money making scheme. Mm-hmm. Like it was like something that we did that we enjoyed and people enjoyed that we enjoyed it. <laughs> so that sort of created like a good. Uh, vibe around it and um so then we're thinking like what if uh, what has made brand new so successful which is the singular focus on logo identity and branding and that's it mm-hmm. could that be translated into a conference that you know we did the math and we figured like if we sell if we could fill a 500 seat auditorium at this price point We'll be fine for the next mo- six months. So we're sort of going back to the that uh, you know the the muffin bag. Like, how can we survive for the next six months? <laughs> and, yeah. and we just thought, well, if we can pull this off, we'll survive for the next six months. And um, yeah. So next thing we was like, right, let's plan the brand new conference. Uh, let's figure out uh, how to do a one day conference with uh, just speakers around low identity and branding mm-hmm. and. Uh, had never done 
a conference before. We had done some small events here and there, but nothing of that scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we just looked into it, got uh, insurance, which we have never had. You know, we have never gotten insurance for like a $2 million umbrella insurance, which mm-hmm. sounds like a, like a really grown-up thing to do, but it was surprisingly easy once you Googled it. Like, how do I get insurance? You get an insurance agent. Where do I get an insurance agent? Here are 10. And then you're like, next thing you know, you have insurance. So uh, just like, <laughs> things like that. Where yeah. Like the things that scare you um, just eventually see, they're like, oh, that was easy. That wasn't so bad. Um, so yeah, so we pulled up, we pulled together the conference. Um, we got some sponsors. We made money. Uh, the, uh, the people that attended loved it. The speakers loved it. The sponsors loved it. We enjoyed it. And we're like, all right, let's... Um, Let's keep doing this because uh, it might be a good way to supplement kind of like our, our income mm-hmm. if we if client work ever picks up again. Um, yeah, from there we just kind of like uh, learn every year. Um, we moved to the first year within New York, then within San Francisco. That didn't go as well, so we went back to New York. Did it there for like two or three more years then grew it to a two-day conference and um, yeah now it's like a big thing uh, which is and it's our main the main way that we earn money and how we spend our time and how we uh, it's what we enjoy doing the most which is mm-hmm. kind of like we never we, I, I think it goes back to that idea that it's like we're we never saw it as a oh this is going to be our money-making thing it's going to mm-hmm. be a like a good racket like it was just like let's do it it seemed like it would be fun it can get us out of uh, the situation that we're in right now. And then when we saw that we loved it, and I think people sense that. I think when you do something with love and passion, and well, it sounds cliche, like as I'm saying it out loud, like, shut up, Armin. <laughs> like, <it's all> like, <laughs> uh, but I think when you do something that you're really into, I think that translates to other people. And I think that's yeah. what ends up making things successful. Definitely, uh, you know, because people will see if it's done just for money and everybody yeah. gets the feeling that this conference is for purpose, for care of the community, support of the community, and that you love it. I mean, you wouldn't spend 30 plus hours hand assembling, uh, you know, programs for the event if you didn't love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, so, so yeah, so this is a very long way of answering the question of uh, what was that challenging moment? And it was that, and it was, it was just like looking at what we had, um, what did we have at our disposal mm-hmm. that we could perhaps, possibly, hopefully translate into a way out? Mm-hmm. And um, so, it was, yeah, I was just looking at the at the brand new audience and saying, like, hey, there's there's a lot of people here who care about this thing, and if we're able to offer them something else that uh, would be interesting for them and good for us and good for everyone, you know, something good might come out of it, and it did. So great. Yeah. So you run into this crazy challenging time and something amazing comes out of that. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to get a little bit more specific now and I want to ask you about a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Um, What was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Yeah, so uh, I would in after I left Pentagram, one of our be- our first big uh, so this is two thousand seven ish. One of our first big clients was uh, Caesar's Entertainment. Uh, like they managed Caesar's Casino. Yeah. I mean Caesar's Palace, 
Cisco's golf courses in and the relationship came because I had worked with them when I was at Pentagram. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hired us to do the identity and website for um, their a new golf course in Macau, China. Okay. Um, so you know I know nothing about golf. I know nothing about Macau, but we figured, hey, you know it's a logo, seems good, we'll go for it. Um, the logo part went well. You know, they chose something that was nice and elegant, and yeah, it was fine. And then when it came down to the website, um, we had hired Marion Banshee's, um, you know, fellow Canadian uh, of yours, not mine. <laughs> uh, and at the time, like, she was at her height, and we were good friends. So she, we hired her to do some patterns that we thought were really, really cool as a way of uh, bridging kind of like this Greco-Roman thing that Caesars has going on mm-hmm. with a little bit of uh, uh, Chinese influence. They were really, really cool. And we thought we started deploying them on the website and the comps. And we were kind of like doing some mock-ups. And we went through like three or four rounds with a client. And they just kept not liking it and not liking it. And uh, at some point, I think when they were exasperated, they just said like their feedback was like, this does. This just doesn't have enough sex appeal. And we're like, wait, what? Like you were looking for sex appeal for a golf course a golf in Macau, course. China. Um, so that's what. And, and nothing against the feedback. Like I, I think they knew that their customer base. You know, mm-hmm. they're men in you know, uh, that have the money to go to Macau to a golf course and then drink and be merry and do whatever men do in Macau, China. Um, <laughs> but that's when we realized, like, oh. Like, we, we have no way of delivering this. Like, there's no way that whatever you're looking for, we're going to be able to hit. And I think we should have known that, uh, kind of like from the beginning of the project, that, like, we're not, we're not the right people to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it just seemed like it was the right, it, I mean, it seemed like, hey, it's a big project, it's good money, um, and it will be great for getting more clients. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, you know, and at the time, also, I think I, we thought like, oh, there's, you know, screw them. Like we were right, they were wrong. Mm-hmm. But now looking back, like we had no business being there or trying to do that thing. <laughs> um, so I think uh, they did the right thing. In uh, Eventually they stopped us and eventually we said like, look, we just can't go on. Like we can't keep doing. Uh, and we walked away from a lot of uh, still impending money uh, mm-hmm. from other parts of the project that would have eventually done well. Uh, but yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, at the time it felt like, oh, you know, whatever. But now like, oh, you know, that made sense for them to be displeased with what we're doing because we're just not mm-hmm. going in the direction that they needed. So even like now in your design career, are you able to sort of spot those things that aren't as good of a fit earlier on? Like, is that a lesson that that project sort of brought up? Yeah, I think it's uh, you. You go in with more uh, <clears throat> with uh, kind of like reading people a little bit better, mm-hmm. and kind of like you know you ask more questions that might reveal things that are red flags. And mm-hmm. it's not you know it, is, it can be small things that you're, you're just like oh you know the way they talk about their company is not in a way that, whether it's good or bad, um, they're not talking in a way that I imagine being able to deliver something like what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, even recently, like, um, 
you know, we've, we pitched, we're, we did a, um, uh, not a pitch, a um, proposal for a company that we talked to. And like, eh, you know, it's not a great fit, but if we can make some money off of this one, maybe it will be good. And they were like, no, thank you. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so, but, you know, we, like, we went in thinking like, well, it's not going to be the best uh, emotional connection between us. But, it, you know, it might be a good block and uh, we'll see if that goes. Um, so, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, we've been talking about not doing things for money. But every now and then, like, hey, you know, I might not love this. But, you know, if this can pay the bills for the things that I love, why not? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we're more likely to either walk away from something that doesn't feel like the right fit, or we might try to see what we can get out of it and see, you know, if we can get something different out of it. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, if you feel that you're still able to solve the problem, even though you're not passionate about their product or anything like that, if you can still, if you feel you can still solve their problem, there isn't really a harm in pursuing it. Yeah. Perfect. Um, Armin, what is something you're struggling with in your design career right now? Oh, I have no struggles. I'm great at everything. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think uh, I think there's so I I I feel like my whole every time I make something I mm -hmm. struggle. Like nothing nothing I've ever designed has ever felt easy. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if that happens to every designer. Uh, but I just feel like everything, like I had to work so hard at designing a website, like even our own websites for the conference or brand new, like it taken me such a long time that it's, everything feels like a struggle. Coming up with a logo that I feel comfortable with putting out into, into the world, like, oh my God, that was hard. Like, why wasn't that so much easier than it should be? So, so I think it's a constant struggle in that I never feel that things are as good as they could be or as, mm -hmm. or as good as I see other designers making them look. Um, like I see other designers work like, oh, that looks great. And it looks so easy and like it was effortless. But like to me, it's just like, oh my God, like I have to go through a hundred type explorate, font explorations to arrive at a good font, type, you know, a good typeface choice. Um, so I think maybe it's just, uh, you know, I, I still struggle with a certain level of confidence that, you know, and maybe people are like, oh, that guy's confident. Like, no, I'm not. I, every, <laughs> every single choice I make that we make, that we put out into the world, we're like, oh, my God, are people going to love this or hate this? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think it's a constant struggle with your own uh, insecurities that, you know, even as, again, like, I, you know, I, I think people think that we're successful in some way, and I think that's great, but it it's really, even with that and with the acknowledgement that some people think that we're good and that we're successful, even with that, it's just really, really hard to commit to things. You're like, oh my God, this sucks. People are going to hate it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it's a, a, <laughs> an everyday battle just to commit to something. So do you think that you and your wife have struggled with that more as the blog and the conference all gained in popularity? Like, is that, did that become harder and a bigger struggle? Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <It's, laughs> at the beginning, there was no, uh, you know, there was nothing to lose, like because <laughs> there was nothing to prove. But then as each year we got a little bit better or we did something a little bit more interesting, then we had to, you know, live up to that year after year. Um, and 
the fact that we're doing it for graphic designers, like our audience is graphic totally. designers, that, that really raises the insecurity uh, level quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so I think there's, uh, you know, there's more pressure to deliver. And what we would love to brush it off and say, like, oh, we, we'll do whatever we want. We're fine. Like, that's not the case at all. We're always yeah. thinking about what are they going to think? Is it good enough? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I can just imagine, you know, being a graphic designer and, you know, being having the sort of social presence with the blog and, you know, Instagram and all that sort of stuff that you guys have sharing work becomes, I guess, that much more scary because you're opening yourself to criticism. And yes, it's scary whether you have 10 followers or 100,000 followers. Like, it's a scary thing. Yeah. Especially when you add to this mix that, you know, I run a blog where I critique other people's work. For sure. For leaving, you know, every day I go in and say like, oh, this could be like that. This could be better. This is great. This is bad. And then... I have to, we have to literally walk the walk every single time. We can't just uh, not do it because then people are like, oh, what is this guy? Why should we listen to this guy if he's not going to deliver, you know, on the same things that he criticizes? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a pain in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) I can try to get that feeling. Um, Okay, so I'm going to turn this around for you. I've grilled you enough on the tough stuff. Um, I want you now to tell us about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of, one that just makes your heart sing. I think definitely has to be the brand new conference. I mm. mean, I think you know, after uh, 30 minutes of talking, people are going to be like, well, of course. But yeah, I think there's just something special about it in that it's something that we put a lot of uh, energy, a lot of uh, passion into it, a lot of thought into it. And mm. the... the, the the fact that people respond so well to it, it's just, uh, it really is, again, you know, it sounds cliche and corny, but it is so rewarding. It is so um, uplifting when you bring people together. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the conference, they're smiling and they're happy that you did this, like that we did this for them. And um, you know, even though there's like a financial transaction in that they give us money to be there, mm-hmm. like they, there's always a feeling that, they, you know, it's just... Uh, like this was uh, that it was put together thinking about them, not just about us, but that. So I, really, I think it's just a really nice. Uh, there's some really good vibes that happen after every at the end of every conference. That um, yeah, it, that it's really hard to replicate from a mm-hmm. client project, um, which are all nice and great. But there's always like a little bit of distance between you and the end result. Uh, so with this, it's so direct, and the feedback loop is so immediate, which is like, we do something, and then a thousand people were like, that's great. You know, there's always like, not everyone loves it, but the majority are like, oh, that was great. So there's like a, an instant gratification mm-hmm. and fueling for the next year. Definitely. So if you had to pick a favorite year, what year would be your favorite? I think my... The o- of um, there's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> the overall from like the design that we did to the speakers, uh, I think the 2015 New York conference was pretty cool. Bryony mm-hmm. um, uh, would love. She loves uh, last year. Was it last year? Last year we did a concrete cover, so there were a thousand covers with slabs of concrete that we um, 
glued to each cover and the badges had concrete. Uh, she spent like seven months casting concrete. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> so she hated it, but she also loved it. Yeah. And uh, I think she, she just really enjoyed because usually the response to our work, like, oh, those guys are crazy. But with that one, with the concrete stuff, was like those guys are fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that, that was very rewarding. That after months of uh, you know every day casting concrete, drying it, mixing it, the, the reaction to it was so overwhelmingly positive that I think it was a highlight for her. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a good one. And I, yeah, you know, stuff, but she did the majority. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I appreciate your honesty there, Armin. She did most of the work. <laughs> Um, what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you just can't live without? Um, you know, I, I, is Adobe a sponsor of your show in any way? No, but they should be. Okay. All right. I know, yeah. Say so the same thing with us. But, you know, as much as I dislike Adobe, you know, I just can't, I would not be, I could not do what I do without Illustrator, without Photoshop, without InDesign. And their products get worse with every upgrade and they get more convoluted and more annoying. Like it was perfect at CS5, whatever it was. Like CS, and I held on to CS5 for like five years. I didn't upgrade my OS, my Mac OS, uh, because I didn't want to move into Creative Cloud. Um, to, sorry, the answer is turning into more negative. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it positive. <laughs> I love the tools that allowed me to make a living. Perfect. And the, the, their uh, uh, prowess in handling type and image and making our dreams a reality. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. The tools that allow us to create the work we love. <laughs> um, Armin, you've reached the port of the show for the Ask It Forward questions, where we wrap it all up here. I have a question for you from my last guest, and you have the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay. So based on your answer about what something you're struggling with in your design career right now, I think this is a great question for you. So... My last guest was Brent Galloway. He's a freelance graphic designer out of Columbus, Ohio. And he wanted to ask you, when you get criticism or stuck overthinking things, how do you spin it or overcome it? Um, so for, I'll answer the first part, which is whenever I get criticism, my first reaction is like, I suck. He's, he or she is right. I have no, <laughs> I have no business being a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, followed by screw them. What do they know? So there's a lot of like initial re- uh, anger and resentment and annoyance that anyone would uh, dare think that my work is not good enough, which it can be, and it is sometimes. Uh, but you go through those, you still go through those stages of rage and, and being, uh, you know, an indignity and whatever. Uh, so the only way to get out of it is to just move on. Like, all right, fine. Either whether it was great or not and whether it was uh, right or not, you move on. Like you take mm-hmm. that, you take whatever, you know, even if you don't agree with the criticism or you don't appreciate it, there has to be some truth in it because someone saw something in there. Uh, so it's all about taking that and keeping the kind of like storing it 
like in you know, some sort of level of the brain that whenever you're faced with a similar situation, like, hey, can I, ta can I revisit that uh, criticism and make sure that it doesn't happen again? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a lot of uh, self-editing, self-awareness, and at the end of the day, self-criticism, which goes back to the insecurity thing, like, is this good enough? Is this right? Is yeah. this it's just that constant questioning of what you're doing. And eventually, I think, you know, with experience, you get better at, at, realize, at seeing what's going to work or what's good or what's bad. Uh, but yeah, it's, all, it's, it's always just like continuing to question yourself, but mm -hmm. in a good way, like, all right, did, you know, have I done the best that I can? Does this meet the criteria that needs to be met? Um, does this stack up? To the work of designers that I, I, I admire, and I do that a lot. Like you know, what, you know, <clears throat> if I were a pentagram, would this be good enough? If I worked at Wolf Wallace, would this be good enough? Um, so yeah, it's a lot of uh, <laughs> self doubt, uh, but <laughs> yeah. but turn positive in some way. Yeah. So you sort of immediately have that reaction to it of like, who the hell is this person? What do they think they're doing with this? What are they? You know, you have that reaction, but then. You know, you have to filter it whether it's actually constructive criticism, or is this just somebody trying to be mean? Yeah. And then you fi you file it in your brain and you use it for sort of, I guess, motivation or a learning opportunity later on. Yeah, because I think it's it's very easy to dismiss if like if someone goes like whenever we posted client work on brand new and someone like oh this is shit, and again my initial reaction like oh well you're shit. Uh, you know, <laughs> feel like a very mature reaction, but like, okay, someone saw this and their instant reaction was like, this is not good. So what is it about that? And it's really just about uh, not dismissing it and, you know, uh, because it's easy to, to dismiss it. So it's like, all right, let's take a step back and then figure out what may have caused that reaction in someone else and then try to avoid it if possible. If not, you, know, you can't please all the people all the time, mm -hmm. but... If you can please quite a few people, quite a lot of the time, I think that's always the desired outcome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got it. So, Armin, what is the question that you would like me to ask the next guest? I would like to ask, what profession would you like to pursue that is not related to what you do right now? Mm. Uh, that, you know... I would say if money were not an issue, like if you were fine for the next, if you had the, if you could live for the next five years comfortably, what profession would you like? But maybe as a follow-up, if your life depended on it and whatever you do now is not viable, what would you do? What would you do? Yeah. Perfect. I love it. Armin, I am going to ask that question of my next guest and you have reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on the show today. It's been awesome having you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to part two of my interview with Armin Vitt. I really appreciate your time. If you are liking what you are hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, head over to iTunes and please leave a rating and a review for the show. I would really appreciate it. Thanks, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye.